Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about working from home. Is it sending us crazy? As ever, if you have a question or a suggestion for us on Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield. So Eva, how many people are working from home now? So I think it's about half of British workers are working from home some of the time and about 5 million have no office to go to at all now. And how does that compare to what the situation was like before all of this uh, homeworking? The the pandemic obviously triggered this huge seismic shift in the way that we work. Uh, Everyone had to be locked in their homes for a couple of months and then, you know, some people basically never went back to the office. So before the pandemic, only about one in eight working adults said that they worked from home at least some of the time. So obviously the number of people working from home is hugely shot up. Well, full disclosure, Eve and I have been working in the office the whole time. I mean, I, I get asked still, oh, have you gone back to the office? And I have to say, you know, we, we never stopped. Yeah. We all live relatively near mm. and the instruction was not to use public transport. So, you know, we were able to get a zip car in or, or whatever. So, so, you know, we weren't putting a strain on services. We weren't putting anyone at risk. But basically, you know, the whole time we've been working from the office. So I feel like I've been slightly shielded from this big change in Mm. how people work it's not been a big change for us has it no completely in fact the other day I spoke to a friend of mine who's a lawyer and she's recently got a new job and she's always been working from home and recently she's just gone into corporate law and now they're asking her to go into the office every day and she is completely exhausted and said to Mm. me this must be how you feel (laughs) and I said yes But the reason that we're talking about this now is because, you know, there's something else going on with the state of the nation's mental health. Huge numbers of people reporting feeling more isolated and cut off from one another. Mm. And yet when anyone mentions that perhaps this cultural shift, that not having interaction at work might be part of the problem, people go wild, people go crazy. I mean, just last week, Malcolm Gladwell, the uh, sociological guru, Mm. uh, made some comments that that really triggered people. Yeah, he said that working from home is destroying society because it's making us feel unnecessary and making us lose our sense of belonging. Well, I think what he said was if you're just logging in, basically, and working for a wage, not leaving your house... What have you reduced your life to? And ultimately, that is going to have an impact on your mental health, isn't it? Well, what's surprising is that people who are very in favour of working from home do all tend to say that it's been a huge benefit to their mental health. And mental health is always used as a kind of justification to Mm. carry on working from home, at least some of the time. So it's a really interesting debate because you would think that logically it would be more beneficial for your mental health to have a bit more flexibility to be able to do things that perhaps you know in your let you have more leisure time you can do an exercise class at lunchtime if you wish to in some jobs and why would that not be a great thing and make you feel brilliant but in fact experts are saying the opposite You've been speaking to some psychology experts this week, haven't you? Yeah. So I've spoken to psychiatrists, psychologists, GPs, and there does seem to be this feeling that there is growing concern 
certainly about the number of offices that are closing and people having to work from home the whole time, but also people who are becoming more and more fearful or nervous about going back to the office. And it does seem to be this cycle. And what happens is people are becoming more and more anxious, more and more closed off from other people, lacking the community of an office and of a kind of wider circle of colleagues. And that could potentially be setting them up for mental health problems in the next few years. I did find when I was, and and admittedly, I was crap at being freelance Mm. and I didn't make enough money and I always, I I try to avoid doing jobs that I didn't want to do and obviously that's not the way to make money. Mm. But I did also find myself endlessly, I suppose you might call it multitasking. You know, I'd be doing the hoovering while reading a bit of research or I'd be, you know, doing the washing up or, you know, I spent my days doing chores or doing other things or preparing meals or, you know, I just less productive. That's really interesting because I think you can either go one way or the other because when I was working from home during that very short period and and when I had covid I was at home working as well. I found that it was completely the opposite that all of the things that I thought I would be able to do because I was at home none of them got done. I was just sat in the same position looking at my laptop all day and maybe you know I'd go off to change in the evening and I'd come back and think oh let me just have a check of my emails let me just do this whereas it's really interesting that now I'd say things are perhaps even a little bit busier work-wise but I'm I go home and I I very much have this physical separation that I'm able to, to keep and I don't think so much about work when I'm at home. I found the exact same thing. I'm not sure if I was during that period of homeworking. I'm not sure if I was as productive because I often found myself still working at 9pm, which, you know, generally, you know, we, we, we at the end of the week, we, we might find ourselves here late when we're putting the paper to bed. But that was the happening beginning of the week. Yeah, that was it? happening every, every other day mm. to me. So and that's definitely not good for mental health. No, and there is that that separation. And I did find myself thinking about work at night. Well, uh, you mm. know, when I don't normally, and uh, it disrupted my sleep as well. One thing that Malcolm Gladwell said, which I thought was really interesting, is that we have this idea of of kind of optimal happiness, which is um, involves balance. And every time everyone talks about what the things in life, the components you need to make yourself happy, and maybe you know prevent mental health problems you need balance you need a work-life balance and he was saying that why is that true in fact for him he does work more than the average person it does mean that he has less leisure time it does mean that he goes on fewer holidays it does mean he works very late nights but he wouldn't say that that makes him unhappy because he loves his work and I wonder well number one I think that's probably quite an exception because I do think for most of us you know focusing on one thing whatever that might be for the whole time is, is not good for mental health but also it was really interesting to me that maybe the crux of the problem here is that there's a lot of people that really don't like the work that they do Mm, mm. and so they don't want to do it for a long time and they feel that other things in their life are perhaps they get more enjoyment out of it making banana bread who doesn't love making banana bread well me because i can never get it right well malcolm gladwell couldn't join us unfortunately however we have someone who has said equally incendiary things that have driven people wild um, about homeworking on the line now Joining us now is the Right Honourable Jacob Rees-Mogg MP for North East Somerset and Minister for Brexit Opportunities and Government Efficiency. Jacob, I think it's fair to say that you're not a great fan of the new working from home culture. Can you explain a little bit to us about why this is? Yes, well, I'm concerned that some government services aren't being delivered in the way that people would expect. The problems with DVLA and the issues 
issuance of driving licenses are well known, and that came about because of people working from home and routine things like opening the post not actually happening. We have issues with the passport office, we have issues with uh, the probate office, and I think until public services are working fluidly, you have to assume that people need to get back to normal working practices. I think working from home can be sensible, but is the exception rather than the rule. And we heard in relation to DVLA a report in the media of somebody who got a job there and found that people were watching Netflix and so on and so forth. So people were being paid taxpayers' money not to fulfil their job, and that seems to me a very bad idea. I remember that report was pretty shocking. We're talking today about the mental health aspects of spending more time working remotely and outside of the office. Do you think that it's particularly damaging for mental health to spend most of your time perhaps alone, maybe in a sort of very um, small space trying to do your work? I am concerned about that. And there's been a lot of discussion about the mental health effects on children of not being able to go into school but much less on the mental effects of people working from home. And I think it's particularly a problem for younger people and for single people, people who may be living in a single room who are then in that room all day, every day, and much less able to socialise than they are when they're going into work and, and getting about. I also think the pressures of work are better when shared. And I can give you a specific example of this from my own experience in relation to the people who work for me in Parliament. MPs receive a certain amount of abuse, as I'm sure you're aware, but most of that doesn't get to the MP, him or herself. It is fielded by the parliamentary assistants who open the emails and open the post. When you're in an office atmosphere, that is a shared burden. You're seeing other people who are getting the same. You don't think that it is abnormal. One of the people who works for me, who's worked for me for a long time, was very distressed when working at home for an extended period, getting endless emails saying, well, saying among other things that I was a murderer, which um, for the record is not true. And that's very, very hard for people when they don't have that support that comes from talking to other people who are getting the same and that feeling that this is a burden shared. Jacob, when you've talked about this in the past, you've made people very cross. Why do you think that is? Well, it's quite nice for some people working from home. They're working less hard, productivity has gone down, and they're saving money on their commute. So inevitably, there are people who find it suits their lifestyle. But I don't think they're thinking about the younger workers and the strain it puts on them and the difficulty for younger workers in learning on the job, which is an important part of career development. So it doesn't surprise me that people get cross. People always get cross when you say that they should be working in a normal way. So you feel that that they feel like they've been called out, I suppose. They've been caught slacking, basically. Well, I think that it depends on the stage you are in your career. I think that for more senior people who have larger accommodation, have a room they can use for an office. Working from home may be both more practical, but also less problematic in terms of their mental health. And they've got quite used to that. I think, though, you need the managers to be in the office to motivate and drive 
the other people within the office. So I think there are a number of reasons people don't like it, but it's broadly that there has been a certain comfort uh, about working from home. But you've got to judge by results. If every public service were being delivered perfectly, I would not be complaining about people not going into the office. As that is not the case, that is why I am complaining. Jacob, what would you say to people who are completely passionate about working from home and are absolutely convinced that they are more productive working from home, they have more time, they don't have to waste an hour in the morning and in the evening on their commute and they can you know, get up at 6am and start work right away? Well, it will depend on the job. And I, I certainly think it's important to differentiate that if you're a novelist, working from home is extremely efficient. You don't need to go into an office. On the other hand, if you are a security guard, you have to be in the office. And between those two extremes, there is a great deal of of variety. And there may be some jobs where working from home some of the time is perfectly reasonable. But I must confess I'm a little suspicious that most working from home takes place on Mondays and Fridays. And that does imply, doesn't it, that it is a desire to extend the weekend <laughs> rather than, in fact, a day to be productive. Somebody wrote to me, a friendly correspondent wrote to me, saying uh, that we should insist that if people work from home, they should do so on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And there may be something in that. Do you worry that perhaps we've gone too far? I mean, many businesses have spotted a, an opportunity to save shed loads of money in office space and have closed their offices and are now recruiting people only for work from home positions. Have we seen a permanent shift in, in work culture? And does that concern you? Well, it, it will again depend on, on what the role is. And there are some things that you think could be done from home, but then don't work out quite so well. So somebody was in touch with me who'd been in touch with the passport office on their helpline and it takes a very long time to get through there are long queues to get your call connected this person got the call connected and then the operator said i've got to go my child is crying well i'm afraid that is not delivering the service that people expect people once they've got through expect the operator to be able to focus on their problem and not be distracted by their home life So it's going to depend on the role. But yes, within government, it seems to me that if people are not going to work in the office, we must get rid of the office space. I went um, round the government office in Canary Wharf on Monday, and I went on to a floor that could hold 400 people. And this is on the basis of people not working full-time in the office anyway. So it's not as if 400 are the number of officials dedicated to that space a much higher number. Of those 400, there would have been fewer than 10% physically in the office. Well, why are we spending millions of pounds a year on office property that nobody's using? And we've got to be serious about this. Either we need the space and people should be in it, or we don't need the space and the space should be got rid of. It's a sort of use it or lose it approach, in my view. You speak about phone operators, but surely there's some phone operators and and people in other public services who, you know, do have other commitments. They do have children. They do have things in their life that they need to attend to. And there's a lot of people who say that it's about, you know, embracing modern life, that lots of people have lots of different responsibilities and we need to be accepting of that. You know, what would you say about, say, a a mother that needs to go home at four o'clock and continue at home because they need to pick up their children? Oh, I'm very much in favour of part time working. I think that's a really important part of the economic mix. But when you are working, you need to be capable of doing your job. 
And that's better. You're you're more able to do that if you're in the office, you think? Depending on the job. As I've said, there are some roles that people will be able to fulfil perfectly well from home. And there may be ways that people can set themselves up to work better from home. But there are some jobs that need the human interaction, need the development of ideas, and need the absolute focus that an office brings. What would you like to see happen in the immediate future? Well, I I mean, I think it's a management issue. uh, And I hear that private sector companies are now going back to work in significant numbers. And management within the civil service needs to be getting people back into work because the decision has been made by the political arm, the cabinet and the prime minister decided that people should go back into the office. It's been made on the civil service arm. Permanent secretaries have made that decision too. And therefore the responsibility falls now on line managers to encourage people to come in. It was very interesting. I went to the Birmingham office of the cabinet office recently, which has a shared space of a number of government departments. And Ofsted has decided as a management issue that people need to be in the office. So the Ofsted office space was full because of effective management, feeling that that is what you need. There was one department with a considerable amount of space that potentially is quite newsworthy at the moment, so I won't embarrass them by saying which one, that had four people in. Uh, And you think that when there is an issue that is pretty much on the front page of the newspapers, you would expect people to be working in the office to be dealing with it. We're trying to rack our brains to find. To think. <laughs> no, I'll leave you to rack oh, your sure. brains. Okay, well, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> Just continuing to to play devil's advocate to this. I mean, in the civil service, a lot of these uh, offices are in city centres, and during the pandemic, I mean, you know, I know a fair few people who moved to you know nicer, larger, leafier properties in the suburbs or you know satellite villages around around towns. And if things become concentrated in the cities again, it's going to make their lives difficult, isn't it? Well, look, I'm all in favour of people living in the countryside. I'm very lucky as a Member of Parliament that I represent a beautiful area of Somerset. I have a house in Somerset, and I'm often here working on constituency matters, but also here because it's a lovely place to be. So I'm not against people setting up their lives in as comfortable way as possible. But to afford to do that, you need to do a job, and to do your job properly, you need to go to your place of work. People are entitled to make choices, uh, but they have to recognise that choices have an opportunity cost. And I suppose if they're unable to do their job and they've made the choice to uh, move away, they might find themselves without a job. Is that, is that well, the well, ultimate? Or possibly without the London waiting. That if, if people are not going into London every day and they are paid as if they were going into London every day, is that value for the taxpayer? People get extra money for going into London. It's not technically a London waiting. The terminology is slightly different, but it comes to the same thing. If they're getting that extra payment for doing something and they're not actually doing it, they don't have the extra costs, why is the taxpayer bearing this burden? Jacob, you you famously um, came up with a novel way of trying to cajole uh, workers back into the office by leaving notes on on their desks saying you you were sorry that they weren't in the office at the time. Did that work? Well, the, the notes were based on the notes candidates leave when they're canvassing. You leave a note saying, sorry, you were out when I called. So it was a sort of very, anyone who's been involved in local politics would have been very familiar with that type of note. The head of that section came up to me and said he was embarrassed that the office had been so empty and was encouraging people to get back in. So 
at, at least it drew management's attention to, to the absence. And it was part of the Cabinet Office, and I am a, a minister within the Cabinet Office. Perhaps more um, managers should take a leaf out of your book. <laughs> Perhaps I should deliver more notices. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really enlightening discussion and we're really grateful for your time. Well, it, it's, it's my pleasure, but I think your basic premise is, is really important and I hope you will speak to people more expert on mental health than I am because it does worry me that man is fundamentally a social animal and that if we are not meeting people, that isn't good for us. It's well known that male mental health is very dependent on being in employment and I think it's a question worth exploring as to whether that means... Not female, not female mental health? No, no, interestingly, it's particularly strong in male mental health. I've never seen any figures on female mental health, but I've certainly seen them on male mental health. And it's certainly w- worth investigating, and I hope you will, uh, whether working from home has a, an effect on this. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. That's interesting because having researched this all week, uh, what I've come across is data that shows that women have actually been most impacted by the most recent change to working from home because they tend to be more responsible for lots of different duties within the home as well. Being pulled every which way. In every direction, exactly. Yeah. But also it's well recognised that men's identity is often very, very tied up in their jobs. There's that bizarre statistic about how quickly men die after they retire, isn't there? Mm. Yes, that's a really good point, actually. And I think especially the concern seems to be for the younger generation, millennials, everyone's talking about millennials, because social interaction is so key to building your life for the future. Or just learning how to do the job. I mean, when Jacob was talking, I was thinking about interactions that I've had over the last couple of years with Harringay Council. (laughs) Haven't we all? (laughs) And the very nice young people that I've Mm. spoken to who just are clearly just completely cut adrift Mm. and are trying to get hold of their managers to to ask questions while I'm on the phone Mm. on some kind of chat programme, can't get hold of any don't know how to answer a question just don't know what's going on no one's supporting them no one's you know they can't turn around and just say what should I do in this situation or they have no one looking over their shoulder and I just think it's a I think it's appalling to put young people who are training taking their first steps in the world of work in that kind of unsupported situation that is no way to treat an employee completely and I hate to use the term resilience but I do think there's definitely something in the fact that we know that so many younger people are nervous and worried and anxious and it's no wonder if they're not having to overcome difficulties in the office which is just a part of life and sort of teaches you to grow and be less afraid when difficult things happen because you've coped with them before but then they're kind of you know when you're sat behind a screen it doesn't really have the same impact well next let's hear from someone who has seen the direct impact of home working in her own field Joining us now, we have Dr. Claire Gerarda, who is the president of the Royal College of GPs and an expert in mental health. Dr. Gerarda, I know that you work a lot with um, GPs who have been spending a lot of time working from home. What have you seen in these GPs and the effect on their mental health? Yes, thank you. I mean, working from home, everybody's done it during 
the pandemic and of course it's given us flexibility and you know we can plan our day better but on the other side of it and especially for GPs who will be logging in for example at 7 a.m in the morning and doing a whole bucket load of work sometimes seven eight nine to the evening with no break it becomes demoralizing and I certainly did it and it, you've got nobody to talk over some of the patients with you've got nobody to ask questions to you miss the chit chat around the coffee so it's pretty lonely and I looked after doctors during the pandemic I run the service for doctors of mental illness and there was one doctor and I was quite struck whose chair broke and she sat in it every day except for sleeping for six weeks and and it, it sort of it's a metaphor as well as a as a practical thing which is it broke but also her spirit was breaking so I was seeing a lot of doctors a lot of GPs who were just suffering a lot because of isolation and, and just no boundaries around their work. Claire, can I ask, what do you feel that the the benefits are of working with other people face-to-face, psychologically? Well, psychologically, of course, there's lots of benefits. You know, those benefits of just being able to have better communication, those intimate, very brief conversations you might have at the start of a meeting, you know, how are you? I'm fine. Do you want a cup of tea or coffee? Those, they're intangible. You can't measure the effect of them, but we know isolation, particularly social isolation, which I think a lot of people were doing during, during the pandemic, is not good for one's health. So in the short term, we just all ride through it as we all have, but I think in the long term, to expect people to be moving from 10 metres from their bedroom to their office and that their mental health won't suffer as a consequence because they're not mixing, they're not having exercise, I think will will, will rue the benefits. And I'm increasingly concerned, not necessarily about doctors, but for example, my children's generation who are in their early 30s are now getting jobs where it is only homeworking. And I do worry that we then lose out the other benefits of working, which is you know, connecting with new people, connecting with your community, and not least the exercise that you have just physically getting to work. Do you think that, that people might not realise that working from home is damaging to them? Do you think that people might be in this sort of slightly paradoxical situation where they see that they're saving money and they don't have to do horrible commutes? So that's an upside. But then on the other hand, their mental health might be suffering from lack of interaction, isolation, etc. But they might not even realise it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think we've got to maybe make sure that we don't over exit the, the risk to mental health but I certainly think for those people who maybe are a little bit shy prefer their own company I think to not have the opportunity of actually meeting others I think will be detrimental to their mental health I also think as I said the those informal really small issues the, the day I returned back to work I mean I worked during the pandemic face-to-face in my surgery but when other people started to the the joy the absolute joy of just saying to somebody do you want a tea or coffee you know and actually physically being able to give it to them and the joy of just being able to have these tiny conversations with people rather than having to put your hand up on a zoom or a teams call and wait for, for you to be called and And this is what I think we've got to make sure we don't lose. We don't lose those social interactions and, as I said, the the contact with your communities, the fact you are walking into a space that is part of of, of a larger community, which, you know, you use the local shops, etc. So let's see what happens. For GPs, we are back to work. We we never stopped working. But I think the future for general practice will be a mixture 
of home working, remote working and face-to-face working, which will be probably what we'll see going on into the future. Do you think perhaps, you know, I mean, I feel like perhaps you're in a lucky situation and I'm in a lucky situation that I actually, believe it or not, Eve, I, I look forward to coming to work to see you. Oh, yes. But I enjoy the interactions with my co-workers. I go away from work thinking how stimulated and interested I've been by them. And and I think the people I work with are great. And I'm very fortunate in that. And, and we have a very interesting job that's very challenging and tough and stressful at times. But sometimes I feel when I talk to my friends about this subject, actually, they hate everyone they work with <laughs> and they could never see them again. And the less interaction they have with their day-to-day working life, the better. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, I mean, it's sad, but, you know, maybe homeworking is better for people who simply hate their job and everyone they work with. Yeah, but isn't it sad? I, I actually think when you said you really like the people you work with and there isn't anybody you dislike, part of... Oh, there is. I mean, you know, not, not naming any names. You know, I don't like, like everyone I work with. And obviously we have rails and all sorts, but, you know... I've got the gas if you want it, Claire. <laughs> but isn't that part of life, is to get on with people you don't like, is to sort out arguments at work, is to understand what it means to be maybe accused of being a bully, to be able to reflect on your behaviour, to think, well, maybe I should have done that differently. So I think actually what you've actually said is the very reason why we shouldn't lose real face-to-face working for those colleagues who really hated it and really couldn't bear it well I think there's probably your friends and not in the majority I think most people have people that work they get on with and the ones they don't you just have to learn to muddle through and that's part of growing up and part of, of just learning how to be a citizen so I think for me I was very privileged I had the, the both of them I went into work and I worked at home but actually even working at home was very difficult. My husband is, is also a doctor and we had confidential consultations. I'd have to send him out the door to stand outside so that I could have a confidential consultation with a patient. And, and I'd have to do the same when he was having consultations and when we'd row over the Wi-Fi. But, you know, <laughs> get off the Wi-Fi because I can't do this call. Now, those are the sort of things that if we do go forward in homework, we're going to have to sort out, not least also the, the chairs you sit on, all sorts of things. So let's not lose face-to-face working. Let's, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, if you interview me, everybody will be working from home as, as norm, but I really hope we're not. Mm. One thing you said to me when we discussed this earlier, Claire, was that this idea about structure and how crucial structure is to mental health. And I'm sure, you know, it's familiar with me and I'm sure it is with many others, this idea that once you're working from home very quickly and easily, the working day bleeds into a working night. Why is it that, that structure and having that physical separation between your work and your home life, why is that so crucial? Yeah, that's very important. I mean, I mentioned the word boundaries, and, and all of us have more or less have a boundary. You probably take work home. I mean, I don't know whether you do because of your role, but most people would take work home and might just dip into work over the weekend. But on the whole, we have boundaries between home life and work life. And it's those boundaries where we shift our identities. My identity as a, as a doctor should stop at the front door of my home and restart at the front door of the surgery. I will find it really odd to do consultations in the bedroom. I don't know why, but I found it very strange, emotionally for me, very strange to be 
speaking to somebody professionally in my own bedroom. And I'm sure people listen to this. So you need those boundaries. You need to take off your metaphorical white coat and you put down your metaphorical microphone and take on a different persona, whether that is a, as a mother, as a girlfriend, as a husband, wife, whatever. And what we saw during the pandemic and increasingly we don't have those boundaries. When your commute to work is from the bedroom to the living room, the children are downstairs crying and you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go back into mother mode here. I think that's when we begin to struggle. And boundaries are very, very important. We sort of don't realise we have them until you start to look at what happens when we no longer have them. Mm. Well, so grateful for your time, especially given that you are on holiday. Thank you very much, Dr. Claire Gerardo. <laughs> I am on holiday. <laughs> Thank you. I'm on a, at a wedding. Oh. People getting married overseas now. It seems to be the norm. I think it's the post-COVID. Freedom rush. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enjoy. Have a fabulous enjoy. time. Take care. Bye. This has come up a couple of times in, in the conversations that we've had, but I love coming to work, especially to see you. <laughs> oh, I love coming to work to see you too. You sound so <laughs> ungenuine. No, but I do. I was thinking, I was thinking yesterday, I love coming to work to see Ethan mm. and I like seeing others in the office just because, you know, I, I mean, we, we might not spend a lot of time together otherwise, but you're very interesting people who challenge me and you keep me on my toes and you make me laugh. And for me, that's a huge benefit to my life that I get to spend time with you guys mm, yeah and I think and that's that, good for my mental health yeah absolutely I feel the same and I also feel that there's something quite unique about the workplace in that there's a bunch of people who are just thrown together not out of choice mm. and it's not necessarily true that you're going to be like-minded but I, I think it's really important to be able to understand and spend time with people who are different and have different lives and you know at different stages of their life and also you know there is something especially for younger people about teaching you to interact with lots of different types of people and I think that stretches you. I also think of something an old boss once said to me that no matter what was going on in her outside life. You know, everything could be imploding and exploding and going to shit, but, you know, you'd come into the office mm. and you'd put on your office outfit and you'd put your best foot forward and you'd smile and you'd say, yeah, I'm all right, and you'd get on with it. And, and all that seemed to kind of... For the time that you were there, it just kind of melted away and you didn't have to think about it. You mm. were propped up in your chair, you were doing your work... And getting on with it. I've experienced that in my own life where, you know, things are perhaps difficult at home and you don't have to think about it and don't have to worry about it at work. I mean, at the, the most extreme end of the spectrum, we really worried during the, the lockdowns about people in destructive relationships, people mm. in abusive relationships at home, mm. being trapped in those situations. But, you know, I mean, there's a huge wider spectrum of people who are just perhaps having a hard time at home. Not being able to, to step away from that ever mm. must be so difficult. There is a psychological concept, which I learned this week, called compartmentalisation, which is exactly that, that we have this defence mechanism in our brain to kind of switch off difficult emotions. And that's much easier to do once you've got a physical separation from where that difficult emotion is being triggered. And mm. so... Well, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's very logical. So like if something hard happens at home, or even if you've had a kind of anxious thought, or you're feeling a bit rubbish when you get out of bed, having that physical separation between your home environment and your work environment 
makes it easier for you to kind of put all of that stuff in a box and go to it later which I know we speak a lot about the importance of obviously being honest about emotions and not being afraid to show feelings and and that is obviously crucial but I do think there is a huge benefit in sort of time and a place because sometimes when you're feeling emotional you're not thinking rationally about things and we do need that time to sort of let everything mellow. But I keep coming back to, you know, conversations I've had about uh, about homeworking with people people that I know who don't recognise anything of what I'm saying and say that it's not the case. Maybe I just know all the people that homeworking is just perfect and their lives are now great. I think that this is something that experts have flagged, that there is a certain element of a cycle that, that you sort of don't know that it's not necessarily the best thing for you because it becomes so comfortable Um, Mm. and we're such creatures of habit that once we have a habit and a routine it's very very difficult to change that routine despite the fact that things going on on a subconscious level might not be in your best interests but it's difficult to sort of recognize that Mm. until it's too late you don't know that you're going crazy basically yeah Well, I shall be very interested to see whether or not your report is met with enthusiasm, derision, (laughs) anger. Outrage. Outrage. Insane trolls. I'm sure they'll be all of the above. Well, here's hoping. You can read it and all the other week's health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper format on The Mail app or on mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.